Hey, welcome to the Zootown Podcast, and thanks for joining the conversation today. Our hope for this podcast is to present a wide variety of topics and that it'll spark conversation. So just sit back, relax, or work out, or whatever you do when you listen to podcasts, and enjoy. So without further ado, here's the Zootown Podcast. Hey, welcome to Zootown Podcast, and we are honored to have uh, Dr. C. Baxter Kruger, um, author of many books, including The Great Dance, Patmos, and Sh- The Shack Revisited. Uh, he's a close friend of Paul Young, who's a close friend of ours, and uh, we've, had on, uh, we've had him on before, uh, but it's been a few years, and this is hands down one of the deepest theologians you will ever encounter. So uh, our topic today is we're just going to talk about separation, because there's this myth that was brought on by the Western Church um, that hells a separation from God and that we can actually just be separated in sin from God. Um, but Baxter goes on to explain why that's really logically impossible. So in great Baxter fashion, he always just jumps right in. Uh, so not much of an intro to this, but I hope you enjoy and meditate on what uh, Dr. Kruger has to say. Thanks for joining us. Baxter, it's great to see your face. <laughs> you, yeah, look, well, you, you look well, thinner, well, buddy. Huh? You look thinner. Well, maybe I'm too far away from. <laughs> anyway, what's going on, man? <clears throat> Tell me, bring up speed. Uh, well, I mean, you know, you haven't been on for about two years, and you kind of you you remember you walked right into the the mess of everything that was going on. Um, but you told me. I mean, I'll never forget when you told me that it's going to be it's going to get harder before it gets easier. <laughs> but once it breaks, it breaks, and uh, that was a true statement. Like it was, I, we have a staff now that it's kind of funny. There's tons of stories about our staff, but like, basically it was a bunch of evangelical rejects who were on the same path and didn't know it came together. So actually, actually Dan, the guy you just talked to, uh, he's our new worship leader. Um, and he came from another church in town and he was reading the same books I was everything. And, uh, he ended up, he actually got fired um for his new theological positions on the same week that we had our church split and him and i randomly ran into each other at a gas station and we always tell this story it was funny we kind of we hadn't seen each other for years and uh he looks at me and he goes i heard you're getting in a little trouble or i I looked at him and i go i heard you're getting a little trouble and he goes yeah and i go me too (laughs) so it was crazy how we just ran into each other the week all this was going down um, but our entire church has turned around. Um, we're just starting a massive building project uh, where we're converting our warehouse into almost like a community type center, you know, too. Um, and uh, it, good. it's been amazing, man. It's been amazing to watch this reformation kind of take place, um, you know. So it's I'm glad I never want to go through it again, but I'm glad we had to go through it to be where we're at today. Well, you do. I mean, and the, the good news is right now, um, so well, since 2000, I want to say maybe, maybe 18. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there was um, an Indi- uh, uh, American Indian guy that came to our conference in 2018 or 19. And Bruce Walker was there. And we were talking. And he 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 didn't know uh, he'd never I know I don't know where he came from. Um, I'd never seen him. I hadn't seen him since. He came up to me and Bruce, 
and he says the plates are shifting and um and so we talked about it and then i got pulled off to do something else and bruce and he talked and prayed and he said he said the the plates are, are in the heavenly are shifting and so uh that was the second time when bruce and i were driving up there we were going across our reservoir and he had a vision of american indians Hmm. And he, he asked me, was there any Indians around? So I said, well, this whole state was Choctaw and Cherokee, and I, I miss several different tribes. Um, and he said, wow. So then we got there, and the next day, this guy shows up out of nowhere. First thing he did was he walked up to Bruce and he said, your daughter is fine. She's going to be fine. She had had an asthma spell in Australia and had to go to the hospital, and Bruce was, you know, obviously preoccupied. But the okay so then uh he he said that he came up to the two of us and said that about the plate shifting and then bruce talked to him afterwards and so we went from there to bruce and i drove over to uh, dallas to do a conference with paul young called the undiluted gospel conference which is a, a class now that people can take it their own their own space their own pace but anyway we got there and we'd asked we prayed on the way over. We need confirmation, uh, another confirmation. So we're sitting there talking to Paul Young, and he goes, something. That's what he did. Exactly. I looked at Bruce. And I said, did you talk to Paul? And he said, no. I said, okay. So since then, we have observed a, an amazing worldwide. Um, it, to me, it's, I, my description of it is the veil is lifting. People can see, they can hear. Uh, <clears throat> the same thing we've been saying, I've been saying for 30 years, is suddenly, all of a sudden, people are like, yeah. Right. Um, and I just did a, a, a series of, of lectures in Toronto on the Mediation of Jesus Christ paper, which I, I redid a whole section in there and brought a lot more historical references to it where people like Thomas Erskine and John McLeod Campbell and George McDonald and uh, J.B. Torrance and, and uh, even Douglas Campbell. And it's a section there where it just it just levels the playing field and says, look, we, we've been preaching a conditional gospel. We've, and J.B. says we've turned the covenant into a contract. He spent his life trying to understand how that happened, and, and he wrote an article called um, Covenant of Contract, which Douglas Campbell uh, reprinted in the back of his book um, Beyond New and Old Perspectives on Paul, uh, which is a fantastic little book. I don't know if you read him, Campbell, but he mm -hmm. his he was in he was a Kiwi, and Alan Torrance moved down there to teach to be the professor, and they became friends. And he gave Alan two articles. One was the Covenant Contract article by JB, and the other was JB's introduction to John McLeod Campbell's book, The Nature of Thunder. And that just rocked his world. And so he went on to get his PhD in uh, Toronto with Long, under Longenecker. And so Douglas Campbell has now, he's written a bunch of books, but his, his, his magnum opus really is, it's called Pauline Dogmatics. And he, he unfolds the whole thing. And he, he essentially is a world-class New Testament professor who's saying the same thing that Torrance Brothers are hmm. saying, except he's arguing that this is what Paul is saying in his letters, especially Romans and Ephesians right. and Galatians. And just, I just sit, I mean, I, I was reading through the book and I said, I, I knew about him, but I didn't know much enough. I hadn't read him. I had pretty much written off New Testament scholars. 
uh, in the West. And um, and I so I interviewed him. Uh, and, and we I do an interview thing from time to time with different people, and we post it for some of our people to watch. And uh, and I quoted to him. I said, I, I just got to read this out loud where he says in Pauline Dogmatics, he says, I will uh, read Paul from a Trinitarian perspective because I believe this is what Paul believed. Though I'm not saying he's a, he had a fully worked out doctrine of the Trinity, I believe God for him was the Father, Son, Spirit. And I thought, how in the world has that happened? Yeah. So he's been doing this now for several, you know, he's he's my age or thereabouts. Um, maybe a little bit younger. I don't I don't anyway, it's amazing. I mean, he he says, you know, one of the things I love he, he does is he and I, I told him in the interview, I said, I said, I would have gone out to do New Testament studies. Um, but I honestly didn't want to spend my life arguing with Germans about what was obviously not true. Um, and <clears throat> anybody that reads the New Testament can tell what's going on in terms of, it, it, you know, we, anyway, his whole thing is that what we have in the Bible is, is an unconditional covenant. And he has an amazing statement. Matter of fact, probably got it right here in my bag where he's uh, quoting, uh, he's talking about J.B. Torrance. And he quotes um, from this article. Um, I have it somewhere. He quotes some from the article um, that he wrote on JB. Uh, on um, here it is. Just listen to this. He says this is a quote from his article. He says a covenantal relationship for James Torrance is a relationship grounded in love for the other, and hence one that is un unconditional, permanent, and irrevocable. Because the basis for the relationship is precisely this ground of love, mental actor, talking about God, reaches out to the other and establishes the relationship independently of any action by that party. It is therefore an unconditional and gracious act, and the relationship with the other is a gifted one. The covenantal actor has elected to enter the relationship and so taken the initiative. That actor has also thereby functioned missiologically and incarnationally in the case of God, literally, and stretching to the other actor's location and, if necessary, meeting them right where he or she is. Once established, moreover, this relationship then extends through time irrevocably. It lasts as long as the love of the loving covenantal actor lasts, hence, in the case of God, through eternity. And the relationship is consequently characterized by complete loyalty and unswerving fidelity. Yeah. That's got to be one of the finest state, theological statements I've ever read. And so his point is, we have, to the New Testament scholarly world, you have um, imposed upon the Apostle Paul a contract. And you've tried to wrest Paul's writings to fit that, and it doesn't. And here's what's wrong. Hmm. And so we're shifting, we're shifting to an unconditional covenant. And that's been fulfilled, and that's what Paul saw. And so he says, imagine if you were on the proverbial des desert island, and the only thing that you had, some Romans five through eight washed up on shore in a bottle. Right. And that's it. You didn't know anything else about anything. That's all you had was Romans five through eight. And you read that. He said, that's, that's Paul's gospel. Right. And then he says, now, I'm also bringing back in Ephesians as a Pauline uh, document. 
And he says, not only am I bringing it back in, Ephesians is Paul's apex statement, which I've always thought. Right. You, you can't find that in any New Testament, you know, scholarly world. But it's like anybody, I mean, because he starts in eternity. All of his other letters are really dealing with specific issues in the local churches. Yes, yeah. Ephesians, and, Ephesians is Paul's grand big picture statement. Yeah, it is. And everyone um, always thinks it's Romans that's his grand picture statement. And he's, obviously Romans is amazing, but he's, he's obviously building a case in Romans, you know, which is why, yeah. you know, the Calvinists always stop at Romans 9. You never hear them talk past Romans 9. Right. Uh, because 10, 11, and 12 is when he's bringing it all together. But That's the point. That's, that's his point. He's very concerned that in Rome, uh, the, the Greek Gentile Christian community is, is leaving the, Christ, the, the Jewish Christian community and kind of like outgrowing it and moving on. Mm -hmm. And Paul's very concerned in Romans. Said, no, no, this is, you have been drafted into the covenant. You have been brought into the covenant that God made with Abraham. Right. Anyway, he's done a remarkable work. So you put all these pieces together, and uh, my my um, simplified interpretation of it is that the gospel, undiluted, unconditional gospel, is a blazing fastball. It has backed the principalities and powers off the plate, and in that space, the veil has been lifted, and people can hear, and people can see. There's still a lot of arguments going. It's going. It's not. You know, these things take generations but it's happened and i just i'm amazed i, I was on i did a, uh, a religious detox cruise with john crowder back in february and there were people that came um that had never heard of me or john they came because some of their friends were going said this is going to be epic you need to come and so the first night i was there i mean i spoke the first night and i did my three chair analogy and i just kind of took it from there went on for about an hour an hour and a half and this guy sitting right up toward the front, I didn't know him. He he started crying the minute I did the chairs. And he just wept the whole time. And afterwards, he came up to me and said, he said, back to you. He said, I've never even heard of you. And uh, he said, I, that's the most beautiful thing I have ever seen or heard in my whole life. Have you, have you written anything? And I said, well, yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, I was well and truly thrilled and amazed at that. And it, there were several other people there that had the same kind of experience. Um, quite, quite staggering. Yeah, and it's <laughs> kind of like we say, you know, the, that's a great intro to what we're going to talk about because the unconditional love part and the covenant part are incredibly important to the separation part. Um, because what you're speaking of is, you know, kind of contrary to the Western view of our relationship with Christ, you know, like it's almost like Christ did this, we do this. And if we don't do this, then Christ doesn't do this. And it's really more of oh. a, a transactional reciprocal gospel. But what you're saying is, you know, the finished work is done and there is no separation, which was kind of the point of your book, Patmos, uh, for our audience. Oh. Baxter, Dr. Kruger wrote a book called Patmos where he talks about this. So if you, well, that's a, that's a novel. Um, yeah. And, uh, so, so the whole point of that, I mean, just to get the premise, is that, that the main character is a is a burned out suicidal theologian from Mississippi. He's been there. He's done that. Uh, uh, the second edition of, of of the book has four new chapters, which introduce the uh, the figure of Aiden, and he has a, a showdown out front 
he had a big crawfish boil in his house and a preacher shows up, a local guy that he, he knows. Uh, and he says, I'm sorry, I've been interrupted. And, and he's speaking in hushed tones. And he said, he says, Aiden, I, I just want to invite you to come to church. He says, oh, we've made some changes. And Aiden's standing there and he says, we've, we've had this conversation before. If what you and the boys are peddling up on the hill is the life that Jesus promised, you can count my ass out. I'd rather be dead. And so then goes into the story. Aiden goes into complete darkness, wakes up, discovers he's on an island, doesn't know what's going on, meets John the Apostle. And John the Apostle knows instantly that Aiden has never met Jesus inside his own soul. He's never even looked there because he's been trained by the Western gospel. And so he, he draws Aiden into his own experience of the Holy Spirit and in prayer and different things start happening. So he then takes the, the book works on two levels. One is it's the liberation of Aiden Williams McAllen in his personal healing by encountering Jesus uh, in the last place he ever thought to look, which is in the midst of his own brokenness inside his own soul. So he meets Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then on the second level, the book is about how the West was lost and 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 the way forward. Um, so Aiden represents the Western Church, hmm. so, um, which is lost in Arianism. Yeah, so kind of break that down because I mentioned that a lot um, for our audience knows or anyone who goes to our church. But you know, you and I haven't talked for a while. But I'm actually I'm I am I'm mentored now by two Eastern Orthodox priests. Um, I consider him my father um, because I haven't converted to Eastern Orthodoxy per se, because actually they have told me not to, because <laughs> I have a freedom <laughs> to kind of what I'm doing. But it that blew my mind. And our church is grasping it now, too, that when I say there's a Western gospel and then there's the gospel, um, what do you mean by that? Because our church knows what I mean by that. But when you mention Western gospel and Aiden was a representation of the Western gospel, kind of break that down well uh a couple of things simply uh the doctrine or the reality of god is is father son and spirit um <clears throat> if that was proved wrong carl ronner said if we had to drop the doctrine of the trinity is false the the vast majority of christian literature would remain virtually un unchanged hmm. um <clears throat> that he wrote that back in the 80s and of course the Torrance brothers and then but you track that back. It's not just the Torrance brothers. There's H.R. McIntosh before them, P.T. Forsyth before them, and you got George McDonald in there, and then and then before them you got Thomas Erskine and John McLeod Campbell and Edward Irving. That's all in the Scottish scene in the 1800s, right. or late late 1700s, all through 1800s, and then bring it back up to speed. Uh, and there are many others along the way. That uh, the Merrow Man in the 1700s. It's called the Merrow Controversy. You can. You can Google, Google that, M-A-R-R-O-W. But basically, Thomas Boston and several guys said, look uh, to the Scottish Calvinist Church, you, you're preaching a conditional message. And so Erskine writes a book called The Unconditional Freeness of the Gospel, which is the best title ever. And in it, he says, forgiveness is an accomplished divine human fact. It's to be proclaimed without discrimination, unconditionally, to everyone, everyone on the, in the world. Um, and of course, they were all condemned. Uh, and then, so that's kind of background historical stuff. But essentially, we haven't taken the Trinity seriously. We we begin with G.O.D. 
And so when you take the Trinity seriously, then then love is uh, at the essence of God's very being, the relationship of love, out of which flows creation. Um, that they dreamed a dream of you and me and of the earth, and they loved us then. They, they, they put their love on us then, which is unconditional. It's forever. Uh, they're, they're not going to withdraw it because that would be to deny their very being. But if you have a single G-O-D framework, then the question then is, what is the essential character of that God? It's not, it's not relationship. It's not triune. So you take the word love and you take the word holiness. Right. Uh, so you've, you've now shifted from Father, Son, and Spirit, love, holiness, which is relational. Uh, holiness is really a description of the exceptional nature of their relationship. It's beauty and goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, moral purity. Um, <clears throat> but you flip back over here to the G.O.D. model. It's what, what is holiness there? It's not relational. It becomes unapproachability. Yeah, it's separation, really. In, in detached, um, impersonal, unapproachable. Um, and so people said for me for years, back to you just you're just giving new definitions to biblical words. And I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I believe it was Isaiah who said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Who can who can I send? Who will go for us? So that alone shifts uh, and it's not a new paradigm. We're going, I got this, I learned this beginning from Athanasius, and that's what got me to the Torrance brothers, uh, because I could see they were saying the same thing in, in, in our day. Yeah. Um, so it's the early church's gospel. So you you take the G.O.D. model, and then you got Rome. Rome is law. So you, those two things were blended. And so you have G.O.D. in his holiness, you, you you, sh- you share the gospel as God is holy and we f- we failed and someone's got to pay. And that whole thing is now talked about in legal terms, forensic terms, which we then read back into Paul. Um, but when we do that, we rest and twist Paul. And so he doesn't make sense on some very serious uh, points. But anyway, so you either got a, a Trinity model or a single deity model. And and so that all the way through our history in the West there have been protests and wait, 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 something's off, something's off. And so the Reformation itself, and you can read read Calvin. Um, Calvin was trying to bring the Western conversation or the Western theological framework into uh, <clears throat> alignment with what's called the East. But it, at that point, it's no, there was no church split. So if you read Hillary and... Um, <clears throat> Athanasius and Irenaeus and Gregory Nazianzus and, and those early church leaders, and then you read Calvin, the Institutes, you will see he's quoting them all the time. Yeah. But if you don't know those fathers, if all you know is the Western tradition, you don't see what Calvin's actually do, trying to do. And I think he did a fairly good job with it, given where, where he started, but he still he still clung to the Augustinian, you know, doctrine of pre, double predestination. But he did not teach at all limited atonement, which is logically doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's incoherent. But he, he refused. He's just too good a biblical scholar. Yeah. I, in my paper um, on the mediation of Jesus Christ, I quote Calvin a bunch. I, I want people to see what he said. He talks about seeing 
um, the the light and glory of God in every person because they're there. And so it, that that whole paper, uh, which is available for free on our website, uh, we'll have the new edition up available uh, soon. But but um, that's that's the point of the paper. We have lost the plot right here. So you add one more thing to that, which I, I call uh, it's just neo Arianism built into the Western model. And uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. I, uh, I was speaking once and this guy came up to me afterwards and I looked at him, I said, you're a Calvinist, aren't you? And he said, how do you know that? I said, I can tell by the way you walk. <laughs> no, he said, what do you mean? I said, you'll figure that out one day. I said, I, I'm, I grew up Calvinist, but I, I moved on. He said, why? I said, because it denies the deity of Jesus Christ. He said, well, I've never heard that. I said, it doesn't mean it's not true. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, I said, you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. He said, yes, we do. I said, well, not God, the creator of all things, who not only created all things, but sustains all things by the word of his power. And I'm quoting John 1. And also go read Calvin's commentary on John 1, 4. He said, what, what are you talking about? I said, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Father's eternal Son, in and through and by and for whom, Colossians 1, all things were created, and then that's that's the end of double predestination and the end of um, <clears throat> contract and the end of uh, limited atonement. I said, so you don't believe that? And he said, no, I've never heard that. I said, well, you just did. And I said, I, I'm not I'm not a neo-Aryan. Um, and that's, that's, so the real truth is that the modern evangelical, quote unquote, is, is not evangelical at all. Right. It doesn't have a message to proclaim that is fact. It's kind of a, it's kind of an existentialist thing. And it's got a bizarre pretzel logic, confused gospel. If you repent and believe in Jesus, then God will forgive you. So I always ask, what, what's the message of Jesus that I'm to believe? You're right. And if I yeah. believe, then God will. So you've got, you've got a, a, a situation on your hands when you the conditional gospel. You've got a situation on your hands where you are actually telling people to believe in their own faith and in its quality. And you're telling them that they have the power to change the being of God. Because mm -hmm. if G-O-D is, is fundamentally judge, and if when we believe in Jesus, he becomes our father, we have just said that human beings change the being of God. Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not right. Yes, it is. Yeah, and, they, and God has dual, within that system, God has dual purposes. Yes. Like he's, he's like, he's split. And I've heard the, I've heard like Piper and those guys try to explain that, like, but it still never logically makes sense. Like it basically, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of God, right. you know? Yeah. And you, and you don't, for me, uh, one of the great questions that we had in Scotland with two or three of the postgrads there, I met with them frequently just to talk some of these issues out. But the, the big question was faith. What does faith do? Right. If it doesn't change God. And what does faith believe? So my point is what you are to believe is you are to say amen to the presence of Jesus Christ in, in your life, in your, in your soul, in your brokenness, in your sin. So faith is a response to the, a revealed presence of Jesus. Right. And it's, so it's not a transaction. It's, it's an awakening to something that's already present. 
present and you become aware of, and that's that's a growing awareness. This Calvin said faith and repentance are all on, ongoing things. So we're not moving from separation and going across. Right, yeah, the bridge. Or, or, <laughs> the, or somewhere on the bridge. The no, I don't know anybody that, that's moved beyond Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we got God kind of vacillating between judge and father mm-hmm. and waiting on us to see what he's going to be. Um, and we're not there yet. And so none of the, thing, the, the things like justification or, or adoption or reconciliation or any of these great biblical words are they're not real and finished they're they're they're, they're finished words in the greek like that's that's i don't know if you saw this but did you see the brand new nrsv finally changed romans 3 to say instead of faith in christ it's faith of christ yeah well the king james said that right all along Uh, there's six of those passages yeah uh, and and uh, the the net bible does that it's a great little section that's what I use. So, I mean, that's that's another debate that started it, uh, the faith of faith in Christ. That debate started back in the in the at the turn the turn of the century uh, of of eighteen to nineteen, right. and um, and it at first it it didn't do much, but then it, it kind of got going in a big way in the fifties, sixties. D.F. Torrance was in that. He, he was one of the ones that jump-started that following Bart. And uh, so the New Testament world just jumped on it, just wrote it off. It's, it can't be, it can't be, whatever. And then slowly over a period of, day, of several decades, uh, Richard Hayes had done a lot, his big thing. And now the, the burden of proof is clearly on the other side. Yeah, it's faith of Christ. And even the first, well, I mean, you just mentioned Abraham earlier. Abraham's, yeah. Abraham's the first covenant. And Abraham did nothing. He just fell asleep and God fulfilled both sides of the covenant. So even right there, it wasn't Abraham's faith. If anything, the faith that Abraham had was given to him by God to have that faith. So that's why faith of Christ makes so much more sense than in Christ. Well, even in Romans 4, where it says, talks about the faith of Abraham, um, it's the same construction. It doesn't doesn't say faith in Abraham. Right. It's... It's it's Abraham's faith. He's talking about a response to a present God who came and met him at the Oats of Memory. In fact, it was the Trinity. If you if you study uh, Roman, I mean uh, um, Genesis eighteen, all the way up to the first couple of verses, well, eighteen and nineteen, you will discover three Yahwehs. Starts out as three men, then it becomes one Yahweh, then three Yahwehs. Yeah, it does. You got you got Yahweh, you got Word Yahweh, and you got you got a messenger Yahweh. That's and it's clear as anything. But by the time they get to Lot, the two, he he Lot refers to them as Yahwehs. Yeah, my Yahwehs. And they they um, ingeniously the um, the rabbis have changed some of the text around. But you can you can dig that out. Um, that's amazing. Anyway, it was a present person. It wasn't voices, you know, that he was listening to. Um, and and so the faith of Christ is, uh, I I that's how I got into all this was a advanced Greek grammar paper that I had to do in seminary on Ephesians four eleven through thirteen, which is Paul's talking about until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature um, man to, according to fullness of Christ, um, and I argued that's when I. Got introduced to that argument I, in my paper. I argued 
that this is clearly not talking about our faith and knowledge of Jesus, but his faith and knowledge that we're sharing in. And that's when I discovered the Torrance, yeah. uh, the Torrance brothers. And it's so yeah. obvious too, like, like even in second Corinthians five, he, you know, he starts that out by you have been reconciled to God. <laughs> like you have been. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, so please be reconciled to God. Like, you know, he, so, and I just say that because like, would you say, this is one thing I'm finding, maybe it's just me, but the more I study the faith handed down to us, uh, it's almost like the Western gospel is the complete opposite. It's like the opposite of what the gospel is in so many ways. Yeah. Like they just, they mirrored it into the legalistic yeah. system. It is. It's, uh, and I can make, I'm making these comments not about persons, but about systems. Of course. Yeah. I'm not, That's I, why I'm we say Western, it. you know, it's just a, a whole system. It, it's, it's just, uh, T.F. Tarnas wrote an article called Carl Barton and the Latin Heresy, basically just saying we've never taken the incarnation seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, and the proof of that is how many sermons have you ever heard in your entire life on Jesus as the creator and, and the ascended humanity of, G, of, of the Son of God? Mm -hmm. What, what, what did, did Stephen see when he was being stoned to death? I see the Son of Man standing in the right hand of, the, of God, and he refers to him as Jesus, and he sees the, the incarnate Son there. So the whole, the whole movement of Paul's thought is incarnation, uh, which stretches in John and Paul. Incarnation is not virgin birth. It's virgin birth, life, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So that's the peace. That's the gospel, Jesus himself, as the uh, all-inclusive, vicarious humanity of Christ, as J.B. Tarnes coined that phrase. And he rose, we rose. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. When he ascended, we ascended. That's Ephesians 1 and 2. Ephesians 2. And it's just right there, as clear as it can be. And you got to do a lot of gymnastics to get that back into the separate model. But Douglas Campbell again. I mean, he's he's done all the work. It's there, um, and he's got you know disciples now everywhere. Uh, it's just beautiful to watch. Yeah, and so and that's why you preach. This is like one of your main messages: no separation. I mean, that was in Patmos. So, can you explain to our audience like what what do you mean by that, and why are you so passionate with that? Like, if you could break that down. Like what no separation means from like all the verses of in Christ, all those things. Cause that is a, that's a hard thing for us to grasp in our carnal delusional minds. Um, so are you claiming that every person is connected to God, that there is no separation between, because the reason I say that the Western church has preached sin separates you from God and hell right. is a separation from God. So we're always separating from God. And even, you know, I'm not saying Calvinists might've preached this, preached calvin might have preached this but the calvinists believe this that there's the chosen ones over here and then there's the unelect over here uh and so there is a separation so what what why are you so passionate about the no separation and what does that really mean for humanity well number one um it flows directly out of the oneness the indivisible oneness of the father son spirit and it flows directly out of the the <clears throat> let me let me just give you a guided tour john the apostle the very first words of his gospel the very first word is in and that's not accidental but in the beginning was the word and the word was face to face with god 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning face to face with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, not one thing is coming to be. So in those three verses, you've got the face-to-face -face relationship, Father, Son, Spirit, which is prior to creation. And then you got the creation of all things in and through and by and for the person of the Son. So there is no separation. The whole creation is bound up in Jesus and his relation with his Father and the Spirit. Hmm. And that's what was threatened by Adam's rejection because Adam, according to Calvin and many others, Adam's rejection uh, was <clears throat> more than just eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That represented the knowledge of life represented Jesus. So their rejection of that tree is a turning from Jesus. Right. And it's a threatening of the union that they, they were created in. So the entire object, according to Athanasius, of the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the entire object of that is to renew the union that he has with all things and to reestablish it or to use covenantal language to renew the one eternal covenant. Yep. So when he becomes a human being, he's not coming to establish a relationship with us that he does not have. Hmm. Um, Calvin is, is really strong on this, but so is every, you know, a lot of other people and all of the early church, a lot of folks in, in the Western, in, in the Western tradition. So he's not coming to establish a relationship with you that he does not have. Huh. He's coming to establish his existing relationship with you inside your rejection of him. <laughs> That's what's going on in the cross. Yeah. Uh, John is crystal clear. I mean, the Roman cohorts there, uh, Judas and the temple police. So you have Jew and Gentile, you have empire, you got religion, you got betrayal. And Jesus walks out and says, they say, whom do you seek? And he says, Jesus, uh, the Nazarene, his, he says, they go by me. I am. Three times he says it. And they fall, every one of them fall to the ground. And then a few verses later, it says, the Keliarch, which is a commander of 1,000, 1,000 troops. Don't know how many temple police there were, but Mark says there's a multitude of them. So there you have the representative of the world. In fact, John says all things were coming upon him uh, in John uh, 18. So Jesus speaks, they fall out, and then, and then it says the commander of 1,000 bound Jesus and led him to high priest and you think well john why are you portraying the scene this way and you sit in it for realize what john is saying is jesus is saying is your murderous intentions will only be fulfilled by my submission to you and i am not alone the father is with me john 16 where was god when jesus was being crucified god was in christ so you got you got the indivisible oneness of the Father, Son, and Spirit in the person of the incarnate Son, bowing to be beaten and crucified, and 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 in uh, <clears throat> in bowing to our rejection, the human rejection of the Son of God, the Creator. And in that bowing, you've got the Father saying, "I will accept your murder of my Son, and I will transfigure your act of treachery." into the mercy seat where I embrace you in my son with everlasting mercy. I will transfigure and transform your betrayal of my son. And I will turn that into the new covenant. I will renew the union that Jesus had. We have in Jesus with you. I will renew that union 
by way of your rejection and your faithlessness. Now, now let's talk. So that's what a person encounters that's beautiful. in the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus in them, and as John says, we will behold him whom we pierced. He's quoting Zechariah's prophecy. And so it's it's a moment because in the in the Old Testament, the day of the day of atonement, you there there is no beating and cursing and damning and spitting and mocking. All that's required is for the high priest to slit the animal's throat, mm -hmm. and it bleeds out, and then sprinkle the blood on the uh, in the holy of holies. So you come to the New Testament, and there's just this vitriol, there's this hatred, damn him, crucify him, you know, and and he's beaten to a pulp, and he's he's spit on, and and the crown of thorns is is a bloody mess. But why the anger? Why is that all there? Right. It's because all that's being poured out on Jesus. It's not the wrath of his father; it's the wrath of the human race. So. You ask me, why is this so important? Because it, it tells people, here's what you do. You close your eyes and you ask Jesus, Jesus, are you in me? Jesus, did you bring your father? Did you bring the Holy Spirit? Now, you don't ever ask those things under the, the legal model, gospel, contract because you, you know jesus is not in you you hadn't believed yet so the object of your faith is is whatever it is whatever mechanism it is that you are told you're supposed to do that's what you're really counting on that i believed right and i repented right and you get into this thing that the puritans they talked about the puritans talked about the need to repent over your repentances because your repentances were never right <laughs> so you're on a hamster's wheel it's not even really moving across the separated lines so the reason it's so critical is without it, without the notion or the reality of union, Jesus' union with me as a sinner, without that, I have nothing to believe. Hmm. It's not just me working something up. Right. But I'm going to tell you, it, it, is a, <clears throat> it is a mighty moment in a human being's life when you realized that the human race damned and cursed and murdered the eternal son and the creator and sustainer of all things. And when you hear Jesus speak personally inside of your own brokenness, you just want to sit there and marvel. How can you be this good, Jesus? How can your father love this way? This is astounding. So it produces marvel and hope. And it does not produce religious striving. It produces rest. And Jesus says, look, Baxter, you can sit right here with me as long as you want. You don't have to do anything. But I, I get, just give you a heads up. You know, me and my father and the Holy Spirit are pretty passionate. We love long and, and we're in you. So that's going to bubble up. And you're going to find yourself noticing things and, and interacting and uh, <clears throat> participating. The psychology of this is simple. Fear makes you self-centered. Yes, it does. When you are afraid, anxiety, fear makes you self-centered. When you meet Jesus inside, fear begins to go away. And when fear goes away, you're not centered on yourself and you're then free to notice. Hmm. And when you're free to notice, you realize there's, there's some people in the room that are crying. Oh, I didn't notice that. Now I can, Jesus, what, what would you have me do? 
I know you're here. I know you're in me and in them and in the room and you're at work and you're good. I want to participate in that. What would you have me do? And he may say things like, you know, empty your wallet. He said that to me several times. I got out of the car at the grocery store one day in my own world. There was, it was cold. There was a guy playing the violin. Never seen that at, at our local grocery store. And he was playing Canon in Deep. Uh, Paco Bell's Canon in D, which is one of my favorite pieces of music. And I, I just looked up and I heard Jesus say, empty your wallet. I said, Jesus, that's $120 in that. In that <laughs> 121 being that. So I did. I, I grabbed that money and walked over there and gave it to the man. That, that's what we, you just live in him. He's the one that believes. He's the one that knows the Father. He's the one that loves everybody. He's the one that knows how to be self-giving and sacrificial uh, another centered because that's the way God is as Father, Son, and Spirit. And when you walk with him, these things begin to take shape in you. You don't make them. He, he, you know, it becomes a living, amazing walk, and you never know what's coming. Um, and so he asked the question about union with Jesus and why this is so important. It's a matter of life and death. You choose you this day which way. You can walk with Jesus. That's what he says. You can walk with me or you can live in your own world. And, and a perfect illustration is John 5. Jesus heals the man. Pharisees come after him. He healed on the Sabbath. And he says, the father is working until now. And the son can do nothing except what he sees his father do. Right. For the father loves the son. And shows him everything that he himself is doing. So there's the gospel. Jesus is standing on earth. He's inside the darkness. He's saying, guys, I am here. And I do nothing but what I see my father doing. And I'm sharing that with you. Now, come on. But it's also the judgment. Yeah. Because the instant he says, I only do what I see my father doing. He's looking over and says, what is this monstrosity that you created? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? It has nothing to do with my father or me or the Holy Spirit. And he, he, what is all this rubric? What, what's going on? So the gospel exposes our emptiness. So John 8, 12, I am the light of the cosmos, the world, mm -hmm. not the Christians, of the whole world, because I created it. I, it, it has its origin in me and it has its meaning in me. And so this is what Jesus goes on to say, <clears throat> I am the light of the world. The one who follows me shall never, ever walk in deep darkness, because there's only one, but shall know or experience the light of life. Now, my paraphrase of that is, is I am the light of the world, the one who takes sides with me against the way they see, against the way they see the Father, against the way they see me, against the way they see themselves, against the way they see their enemies. The one who takes sides with me, that one will never, ever be caught up in the darkness, separation, life separation, but shall experience the light of life. It's like, that's what he's saying all the way through John's gospel. I'm here, guys. I'm inside. I'm right here. And then at the very end of his prayer in 17, he tells you what he's doing. Father, I have made you known to them, and I will make you know, in order that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. That's the most astounding statement in the entire New Testament. 
He's telling us, I'm going in. I'm going I'm to submit myself to their murderous rage, and I'm getting down to the very bottom where Satan has his hold. And we're going to have a new conversation, Saul of Tarsus. When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, was pleased to reveal his son in me, not to me, in me, that I might proclaim him in the nations, in the Gentiles. That's the way this works. So if we don't tell people that Jesus Christ has made his way inside of their delusion, they're not going to ask. If we tell people that he, he might save you if you can repent and believe, right. then, then we define what repent and believe means, which is really odd because to think about it, and and Jesus says this in John 16, is that you know you got a sinful view of sin, a blind view of blindness. You know, <laughs> you with your broken mind are now going to define what faith is. And you're going to tell people this is what it is, this is what you got to do. And you, you don't even know what faith is until you meet Jesus inside of you. Because then it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Now I'm not creating faith. I'm responding to a reality. Yeah. I, the only contribution I made to my salvation was I damned Jesus. I'd have been right in their front row. Yeah. And so would everybody else. That's why it says the whole picture John paints that way. So <clears throat> that if without union, without the message of union, and without that, by that I mean the proclamation Jesus Christ um, is in you. Anything short of that as gospel proclaimed to the world betrays the very person of Jesus. Mm. It's a denial of his deity, the denial of the creator, and sustainer of all things, and it's a denial of the, his submission to us. And the script, it's a denial of the scriptures when it says, you know, as in Adam, all men die, as in Christ, all men live. And he's the, right. he's the new Adam. And I've heard, I've heard people try to explain that away that Adam, you know, it's all types of people, not all people, like every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I'm like, well, then he's not the new Adam, <laughs> you know? Well, so Interestingly enough, that uh, the, the people in that particular world, the Calvinist world, uh, are very precise in some of their language. And they would never say that God is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Mm -hmm. uh, they would never use that language. They wouldn't use the language that God loves the world, uh, meaning every person. And you think, oh, so you're more sophisticated than the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, right? because they use that language all the time. Uh, it's just like, wait a minute, now, I don't know that I want to put myself in that position. but um, So to me, it always, this is critical. This is about the identity of Jesus. Who is he? Mm -hmm. He's the Father's eternal Son. He's the one anointed in the Holy Spirit without measure. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Now, incarnate. That one, he didn't leave the Father behind. He didn't leave the Holy Spirit behind. He didn't break off his relationship with the entire created order when he became a human being. So you've got his identity is <clears throat> Father, Son, and only one creator, sustainer of all things, incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. So to speak the name of Jesus is to say, Father, the Holy Spirit, creation, and humanity are not separated, but together. In relationship, Jesus is, himself is the relationship. That's the light of the world, of the cosmos. 
So that's why I'm so strong. Anything less is going to lead us to a betrayal of Jesus, theologically. And it's going to lead us to idolatry, which is we're going to crown our faith and repentance as the real Savior. That's what saves me. Hmm. Doesn't save you. Jesus saved you for what your faith does. Faith is, is a discovery that will absolutely blow your mind and astonish your heart and change your life. Yeah. And it's funny how, like, they, you know, like even in the John MacArthur Study Bible, if you look at the John MacArthur Study Bible, they believe it's grace and grace alone. But then he has a whole page of different verses to prove if you've received that grace. Like it, it's still them saving themselves in the end. Like if they, and he's he kind of breaks it down. If, if you believe these scriptures, then he moves on. Then then you must believe these. And it, it that's always kind of baffled my mind that, I mean, I'm all for the Calvinist, like most, the acronym TULIP, except for L, limited atonement. <laughs> like if you actually look at TULIP, total depravity doesn't mean you're totally depraved. It means you can't save yourself. That's what Calvin meant by it. I can sign up for that. I can totally sign up for that one. I can't save myself. But it's always interesting to me how that Western Calvinist view always in the end, you still have to prove that you're saved somehow by your behavior or your belief or your this. And I, I just don't, somebody it, it, just, it just feels like it's, yeah, it just feels like it's totally flipped what Jesus even did. Cause I'm like, okay, when I say the sinner's prayer, does he go back up on the cross or like, you know, like how does that, that, what, that just doesn't is, make sense to me. What, who is God prior to you praying the sinner's prayer correctly? The Trinity in union. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is all about our, our delusion. And now Jesus made his way inside it, and the Holy Spirit's turning the lights on. That's what you're seeing happening. This veil is being lifted. People, like, wow. You know, I, I pray that all across our country, someone would, would post major billboards that says Jesus is in you. Ask him. Ask him if he brought his father and the Holy Spirit with him. And no visit dot 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 com, just, just that. I mean, that's the new chick track. Uh, let's see what happens. Right. That should be the new the, the new bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, I mean what what I'm gonna get a t shirt made that says Jesus is in you, ask him. It's that simple. Hey guys, we hope you are enjoying this episode of the Zootown Podcast. Um, we just want to take a moment right now to remind you that likes, shares, uh, reviews, they go a huge way as far as getting the message out further into our community, but also abroad and into other communities. So if you value this conversation and past conversations that you have heard on this podcast, we ask that you take the time to actually go and give us five stars. Don't give us four. We need all of them. And uh, leave us a review. Thanks again for being listeners to this podcast and contributors and joining the conversation. So what do you do with the Western view then that says hell is separation from God? Because I've studied enough, you know, just even going back to your original point, like, you know, viewing God as a judge. The early church definitely viewed him as a judge, but in a physician's position, like a doctor who makes a diagnosis about you, like... Not a not a courtroom judge, but well, and a and a doctor uh, who's made a diagnosis about you and then becomes the patient. Yeah, and the cure itself. That's our yeah. So what yeah. do you, what do you say to the view then that hell is separation from God? Well, number one, um, just to quote Calvin, if if you're 
from this commentary on John 1, 4. Um, if Jesus withdrew himself from anybody or anything, that thing instantly evaporates. Yeah, you wouldn't exist. He's the life. Wouldn't do. Yeah. So it's a, it's a hell is alienation from God, not separation. Okay. It's alienation inside of you. It's unbelief. That's what John defines sin as is unbelief. Mm-hmm. So separation is the wrong word. Um, and it, again, betrays the fact that the, that the people that use that language don't believe that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. If he's removed, I always use the soap bubble illustration, little kid blowing the bubbles. And that's the way, if we ever think about Jesus as creator, that's the way we think about it. He was the agent that blew this thing into being, hmm. but it's now detached from the wand and detached from Jesus since it's out there floating on its own. Kind of like an every ready energizer bunny, you know, got some kind of battery pack that's going to last for so long or whatever. And in the meantime, you better get reconnected. Um, <clears throat> so, um, if you want to know, if you want a, a very beautiful, powerful, uh, scathing uh, discussion about God's wrath or His His uh, judgment, you need to read George MacDonald's Unspoken Sermons. Because for McDonald, uh, we must be diamond pure, diamond clear, as pure as the, as the light in, in the morning. And God will have it no other way. And that's what he's doing. He's leading us, Jesus in us is leading us to give up until he reveals our, our waywardness to us and he says, take sides with me and walk. Take sides with me and walk. He never asks us to do anything that he's not already doing inside of us and asking us to participate. Um, now, the light that he brings exposes our darkness, and it exposes it as darkness. So that's the judgment of our salvation. That's our Savior mm-hmm. saving us. Yeah. So it's painful. It's not an easy road. Sometimes it can be really brutal, uh, but always grace. So first, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Notice the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father. Um, one God the Father, make, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth and of all things. And then it brings in one, one Lord Jesus. That's based on the Shema. Uh, but notice it doesn't say we believe in God Almighty first. Yeah. It places fatherhood first, mm-hmm. which means Father of the Son. So all things are created from Father. He is eternally Father. Athanasius argued against <clears throat> Arius, said there was a time when God was alone and not Father. He became a father when he created the son. And Athanasius went just berserk on that. He says the Holy Trinity is no creative thing. There was never a time when God was without his son and simply G-O-D. It's always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the importance of that is that whatever attribute we list, and let's say wrath and judgment, they are fatherly. They are filial. They are spiritual. They flow out of the Trinity. It's not like on this side you have love, grace, mercy, and on this side you have justice, righteousness, holiness, um, wrath. So, no, they're all together, and they're all variations on the theme of that relationship. Mm -hmm. So the the judgment of God is his fatherly judgment. It is a judgment that is designed to save you. It has only goodness involved, only, only restoration in view. Yes, God is judge. 
and his judgments do hurt, but they are designed for one reason, and that is to liberate us from ourselves, from our own delusion. Hmm. The wrath of God is not the opposite of his love. Right. The wrath of God is his passionate, fiery, determined, unconditional love in action to restore us. Um, and that's even the word, that wrath is orge. It, right. it just means, right? It's like a passionate expression of like reaching out. You know, it's not necessarily yeah. like me picking up a stick and beating the piss out of my son. It's like a, a, a reaching out. And I always kind of viewed it now, or I view it now as if my son doesn't want to get caught and he sees me coming after him with excitement, it's going to feel like wrath to him when really it's me trying to save him. You know. Yeah, well, I was a kid. I was playing in the backyard, and uh, <clears throat> my mother came running out the back door, and she grabbed a hoe and was running straight at me. And I, 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 I hadn't done anything. I was just playing in the backyard. Well, I didn't realize it was a snake three feet behind me, hmm. and she was coming. Uh, but even there, <clears throat> the fury is, is is our salvation savings. It's determined. It's unconditional. God will not accept anything other than a pure human being. And he's purifying us in Jesus yeah. as we walk with him. And that's going to go on indefinitely. So it's not that, that what I say or people like me don't believe in hell. No, we believe in the fatherhood of God. Certainly we believe in hell. Hell is any is the form of human experience that emerges in the dark. Right. So Jesus can is saying to all of us, you have freedom to live in your own worlds if you want to, where you impose your will upon others. You twist their humanity in me. You twist um, <clears throat> their life in me. It creates self-centered, narcissistic, um, brutal relationships. It just destroys everything. You can live in that world if you want to, but I'm never going away. So you're going to know that that world is death and hell and misery. And I'm never going to detach myself from you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to speak to you. And, I, and that's a forever thing. So how long do you want this to walk out? Uh, how long do you want to live in your own world? That's why I said take sides with me right. against the way you see. And I promise you that I'm going to lead you in the experience of my father that right now is inconceivable to you because you're in delusion. I had I got a call one day. Um, a friend of mine uh, had ended up in the psych unit, and she had requ requested that the doctor call me. So I said, "Sure, I come." And so I went over there. I'd never been in that bizarre world, and I walked in, sat down with her, and she knew me, knew me, knew my name. She started presenting her view, her interpretation of why she was in there and what was going on and how mean these people were and, and all that. And, and as long as I listened to her, everything was fine. But the minute I gave a different interpretation, I then was put in that category. And she said, leave. And I drove home and I said, Lord, he said, Baxter, that's the fall. That's the fall. What what good is it going to do to give um, <clears throat> that person a free pass out of that unit? And I just sat down and thought, man, you have crawled. You have made yourself 
you have humbled yourself, Jesus, yeah. and submitted to this woman's delusion. And you're on the inside of her own mind. Now she has a choice. And you're not going away. And she, you're just saying to her, you can live in your world if you want to. Or walk with me. Yeah. I'll get you out of this. Yeah. I know what the green pastures are. Well, and that's the early church. <laughs> one one other thing. I, I got to tell this one other thing. That, <clears throat> in terms of the two models. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to... Um, funeral and my two oldest grandchildren are with me with i'm with them and their mother it's a small uh funeral and and the preacher gets up and he's he's an old veteran he, he knows how to do <laughs> i was sitting there and he he said jesus is the good shepherd and he goes and he, and he can be your shepherd too if you repent and believe I'm just like this, yeah. and my daughter's like that. So our grandkids are listening to this, and uh, we get in the car, and she said, "Dad, what was that about?" I said, "I said, let me tell you, I've taught John's Gospel for forty years, and one day I was reading John ten, I am the Good Shepherd, and I heard Jesus say back to me, your faith does not make me I am.'" Your repentance does not make me good. Right. And your obedience does not make me the shepherd. This is who I am. I am the good shepherd. Because that's who I am. I'm not on Monday and Tuesday. But I, I've been this way since we dreamed up creation. <laughs> that's what faith believes in Jesus. Not in faith. I don't make him that. He is that. And he's saying, now you can, you can go your own way if you want. You can live in your own worlds if you want. But I know where the green pasture is. And I know how to lead you from the mess that you're living in to the green pasture. Or to put that more theologically, I know my father. And I know his heart. And I've come to make my way inside of you so I can share that with you. Now, now listen to me. Because you don't know him. You lost the plot. Hmm. You're in the loony band. <laughs> Theology is wretched. What do you think? What do you think he meant then when he said, uh, "I know my sheep, and my sheep hear my voice"? Like, isn't that kind of saying some aren't his sheep? No, he's saying, "I know my sheep. They're right here. They're listening to my voice." <clears throat> and he's not saying he's not making an ontological statement. It's like when Jesus says in John eight that the, the devil. Diabolos is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, father of lies, a murderer from the beginning, there's no truth in him, and you are of your father, the devil. He's not saying your father, that God, that the evil one created you and sustained you. He's not making an ontological statement. He's making a, a practical statement. Here's how the sheep thing works. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Look here. And then he says later on, or earlier than that, he says that no one can come to the to me unless the father drags him. John 6, 44. And you think, well, then he's not dragging everybody. Well, maybe not right this minute, but then on over to John 12, when the Son of Man be lifted up, he will drag. Yeah, he will drag on all that. men to himself. Yeah. He's talking about it at this moment. I'm here, free cross. Free universal drag, 
I'm here. My sheep hear my voice. They're following me. <clears throat> and yet, you know, in John's gospel, every single one of them dis disappear and leave <laughs> yeah. with the possible exception of, of um, uh, Apostle, Apostle John and the three Marys. So <clears throat> you can seize these verses and, and put them in your framework as proof that this, well, you're just ignoring the whole point. I've come here as the good shepherd. I am speaking. People are hearing me. They're responding. They're right here. They're going to forsake me, but that's not going to keep me from doing what I'm doing. Right. So I don't, <clears throat> I mean, it's, I, I was trained in all that Calvin stuff. And it's kind of funny because you, you, you start that way. You believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, don't you? Well, sure. Read this verse. Yeah. Well, not read that verse. It's read that verse in this framework. Right. And it's just a logical system, but it ignores it ignores the whole point of of the gospel. For God so loved the world, the cosmos alienated from Him, the human race, principalities and powers. God so loved the cosmos that He gave His only Son. And what did His Son come to do? Find His way inside, in order to have a new conversation, a new covenant, new union, renewed union. And let's see, let's see. That's the that's the confidence that I have now uh, at this moment in the history of our country, when it seems as though uh, the delusion is taking over uh, and it's running wild and there is no hope. And I remember, I thought, oh, 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 the great reset has already happened, already happened in Jesus. Yeah. I've already installed my, my Messiah on the throne. Who is this trying to do this great reset? And what are these politicians doing? Oh, oh, they're trying to be kings and, mm -hmm. and queens in my, in my son's kingdom. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I I just said, no, no. <clears throat> the one thing that the powers cannot understand is awakening. And when people awaken, their values instantly change. It'd be like that. And I see it brewing. Yeah, me too. I see it brewing. It's just like yeah. you think about what happened in the early church. And Paul would go preach. Of course, it was upheaval. But then there was the next day he's preaching and there's a Jew sitting on, on, on the front row, so to speak, beside three Gentiles, beside a Roman uh, proconsul, beside a slave girl. They have a social revolution. Things that never have been together prior to that moment are suddenly together. Why? Because they've all met Jesus inside of them. I didn't come to you. <clears throat> I came to you preaching in, in fear and weakness and much trembling in order that your faith would not rest on the dazzling rhetoric of a human being, but on the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The witness of the Spirit in that slave girl, the witness of the Spirit in that Jewish man, and they look at each other and see Jesus. That's the end of it. And then the gospel itself gets twisted, and those things cease happening. And basically, the church in the West looks exactly like our political institutions. Right. You know, we believe in the West. We believe in the real absence of Jesus. He left us with a book. It's up to us to figure out what the book means. And how we apply that to our lives. <laughs> yeah. 
how insane is that? Right. So how do you, how do you, you have, you know, I've known you for five years now, but I, there's always just like a confidence, but it's, and, but not an arrogance in you. It's more like just a peace and a confidence. So as you talk about union with God, but you also talk about the, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden's light and just resting. Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, father just says, you can stay here as long as you want. Like, you know, like there's nothing you need to do as Zootown Church, we're breaking out of this system, right? And some people are getting it. Some people aren't. Some people, you know, they've built their entire life around this model for their success, you know? And so some just can't do it, which is fine. Like you said, God's going to drag them to himself. But people listening to this podcast, how do they experience the Trinity like that, Baxter? Like you talk about just hearing Jesus and like all that. How do people experience the joy and the love of the Trinity? Like what are just some simple things that they... I don't mean, I don't want to say do in the sense of well, works, but how do they experience this union and believe this union? Uh, I'll give you five steps. <laughs> uh, it, first, simply ask Jesus, are you in me? Okay. And ask him every day, 10 times. Ask him, did he bring his father with him? Did he bring the Holy Spirit with him? Holy Spirit. Did you make me broken Baxter, the temple where you dwell in delight? And this guy come up to me at a conference the other day and he said, Baxter, he met me in the park while I was waiting for him. We pulled up and came over and he had big old tears. And he said, you know, he said, I heard you a couple of years ago. And he said, I went home and I was sitting in a chair and I heard the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, I have been comfortable with your flesh your whole life. Why why can't you be? You know, let let me let me transform you. You know, this is not it's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control are not your fruit. It's the Holy Spirit's fruit. So simply um <clears throat> ask the Jesus those questions and Ask Jesus, would you teach me how to abide in you? Abide in your love. Um, and I will bear much fruit because that that does its thing. Um, and also be prepared for some suffering. And suffering is not brought on us by the Father, Son, and Spirit, but they never waste a tear. Mm. And the only way to move forward with Jesus is to stop trying to save yourself. Don't even define salvation. Don't don't fall for the six things to go and do. Right. Just ask him. And and he will he is already leading you. Been leading you your whole life. Ask him to show you. Um and I do this on all my classes, online classes. I I tell people, look, ask Jesus. Show me five ways that I am already participating in your life with your Father and the Holy Spirit. Because what we're going to do as Americans is we're going to think, okay, now we've got a new Trinity thing going on. So how do we participate in that? So tell me what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Well, no, Jesus is light. What does that mean? It means that his presence is going to enlighten your life. Right. That's the light of life. You're going to see things in you 
that have been there all along, your love for your children, friendship, care for the poor, care for social issues, your care for a clean planet. These things don't come from you. They come from the Father, Son, and Spirit. You're arguing. So it's a, it's a <clears throat> renewal of your sense of self that comes when you walk with him. Um, and I mean, the other, other piece of it is it's, it's pure joy. It, it's also uh, sometimes very painful. And as George McDonald says, you know, um, God gives us space. Our Father gives us space and time to make fools of ourselves so that we will desire to become wise with him in his wisdom. So, yeah, I mean, we're free to hang on to our system and, and can fight for it and think that we're fighting for God. That's what the Jews did. <laughs> Uh, to Jesus and the disciples, um, but and we're free to do that. But he's not—he's walking with us. And for me, it's just a—it is a, a, a great security to know that Jesus is the good shepherd. And it's—I it's, love the fact that the Holy Spirit has been sent um, to bring us to be who we really are. Yeah. And that the Holy Spirit, uh, she. Uh, is determined and that's why we're here that's why we're having this conversation mm -hmm. I catch myself all the time praying um, I, I start my prayers Holy Spirit uh, would you and I just stop and say oh, Holy Spirit thank you yeah. Yeah, I did for your work in me because that's <laughs> brought me to the place where I need to talk about this right. which you, you know it's like um <clears throat> So ask ask those questions. Write them down and ask them. Ask them every day. Show me five things that I'm doing today, or five ways that I'm already sharing in this, hmm. and it will change. It will change your perspective on yourself and others. You'll suddenly start looking for the Father, Son, and Spirit's life everywhere around you, and you'll see it. Right. And then you can respond, and it's it's it cuts through racism, sexism, cancellationism, all that stuff. Right. Just like. Okay, but a lot of times I just live in my in my own fog, you know. But then I stop and I no, Jesus. The word that you're you're, what you're talking about is not it's it's parousia. It's the Greek. Look that word up. Do a word study on parousia. P a r r h e s i a. Uh, Acts four is one place that I like. It's also in Ephesians three, translated confidence, hmm. assurance. Frankness, freedom, but I, I translate it as unearthly assurance. It's not assurance based on anything here. It's based on this relation that they have with me or us. And so the Pharisees called John and Peter up and, and they and they were marveling. They said, you know, these are uneducated and untrained men. Yeah. And they could tell from their parousia that they had been with Jesus. So it's a relationship, and we're in relationship with with three persons that are very good, not just on Monday and Tuesday, but all the time. They love us. They're leading us. They're weaving our our mistakes into sacraments of their love and presence. We are the sacrament. Right. And I just so it's it's thrilling. You can tell when you walk into a room that people have, are giving up making it happen right. and have heard something that's giving them hope 
They're not making the hope. It's giving them hope. And the room is just like electric. For sure. It's just astounding. And you just, I'd just soon stay here. And then you go to another room and that's not there. Yeah. Yeah. We go, angry, you know. There's anger. Who is this? It's just stubborn. But, but parousia is, is, is one of my favorite Greek words freedom, confidence, boldness. Some people will call it arrogance, and that's their issue, not mine. Yeah. And the way the way around that is just to, to ask Jesus again. Because I was told by a Presbyterian elder one time, I was teaching through John's gospel, as a matter of fact. And he said, he said, I, I want to meet with you. I said, okay, so I have, to, I have a class from going to my office. Closed the door, and he said, you do not have the gift of teaching. You are doing more harm than good. <laughs> you need to go do something else. Yikes. And he left. And I sat there in my office, and I got down on my knees. And I said, Jesus, you know, I don't want to be that man. I don't want to leave anybody astray. And I said, we'll have to find another job. And Jesus says, what makes you think they haven't already been led astray? Right. And he said, I brought you here. I led you here. You need to deal with this tension, this condemnation, this rejection. And these people need to hear what you've got to say. And this is not going to go away. It's going to be the way it is for a while yet. And then a couple other things he said to me were just highly personal, but hilarious. I'll tell you one day. Um, but that was it. I mean, I, I okay, okay. Because hmm. I have prayed a thousand times that prayer. In fact, I remember when I was up there with you, one of the guys, I don't remember who he was, but he asked me, don't you fear that you might be leading people straight? I said, no, I don't you. And I told him, I said, one of these nights, about 3.30 in the morning, you're going to have a, a great big oh shit moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I told him, I said, you can call me. I won't condemn you. So, and just commit your way, you know, Lord Jesus, I'm following you best I can. And I trust that you can speak through Balaam's ass and you can speak through me. Yeah. And, well, and that, that person you're talking about has been to multiple churches now after they left ours. And you can just, I've felt that same thing. Like there's a, yeah, I agree with you. That's, that's a part of that journey, you know, where you just. And it's, it, I'm just looking at an earlier version of myself. Right. Um, and me too. It, yeah. Abide in me. And you will bear much fruit. So the real question is, what does it mean to abide in him? And he actually says abide in me and he says abide in my love. Mm -hmm. So my friend Bruce Walkup always says that part of that means let me love you. Right. Let me love you. Not the Sunday version, but you. And the other part of that is you got to ask the question why? You won't let me love you. Mm -hmm. Why you won't accept my acceptance? 
what's going on it's because you're doctrine of god because you think you're no good you're unworthy and that's not how we operate our attention declares what's worth not the thing but the relationship that the father son and spirit have with us that's what makes us worthy mm -hmm. is their love and affection and i can tell you in my journey that was driving to Nashville, Tennessee. It's in 2010 or something like that. I don't know. And I was just driving up the road. And I was right outside of Jackson, Tennessee. I suddenly felt joy. I mean, it just filled the car. It was coming from me. And I thought, well, there must be something pretty cool going on in this community. Subsequent to that, we've had our men's gathering every year there in Jackson, Tennessee. But I just said, thank you, Lord. A friend Ken um, <clears throat> used to say, just when things happen like that, just say, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'll have more, please. Hmm. Um, so I'm driving up the road and I'll suddenly realize that it, it wasn't joy that I was feeling. It was the Holy Spirit's enjoyment of me. Hmm which was as foreign to me as Pluto. Because my whole I am not, since I'm not there yet, I'm not good enough yet. Right. I, I crossed, I hadn't, I hadn't walked across, you know. He'll love me someday when I'm perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I just thought, that's got to be the coolest thing in the world. Hmm. And, and then it's like, how can you possibly enjoy me? I'm, I'm broken. You're Holy Spirit. Right. It was just like a, uh, it wasn't anything that I didn't know theologically, but it was a level somewhere inside of me that something really broke. It's like, oh man, no, 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 no. So um, the the way in which the way in which the um, they love us, not 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 like, but they see what's happened to us. They see why we do the stupid things that we do. They're not for those things. They're stupid things. They're destructive things. But they're in us deep at work to change, to reveal themselves inside of us so that we can begin to have something that we don't feel. But we can begin to feel it. We can begin to sense the truth and value. And that's the revolution that happens inside of us. The older writers called it, the, I mean, the older Protestant writers called it sanctification. Calvin called it conversion. It's Man. a lifelong process. We will come to the place where we look at the thing that holds us down now. What in the world was I thinking? How come I didn't see that? And who would have ever believed that the fundamental sin of the human race, the great, terrible iniquity, is we don't know the Father. That's it. Yeah. This is eternal life that they may know you. And Jesus Christ and you sin, which means we don't. That's the great sin, hmm. is the illusion about the Father, heart of God. And, and Jesus says, Father, I have made you known, and I will make you known, in order that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I am in. They will experience the love that you have for me, because that's the way you love them, and they've lost the plot. Hmm. And they've created monstrosity after monstrosity yeah. to find their way back to you. So, oh, amen, brother. I, I don't, the confidence thing, the other thing I would say is it's never, 
I had a lady one time in Australia. She came up to me after I'd done a conference. She said, you you must have the most faith of any human being I've ever met. And I just laughed. I said, well, if you were inside my head, you'd think that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. It's just... Um, well, it's the faith of Christ in you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, either this is... I wouldn't say either it's all true or it is the truth. And every time I doubt it, it gets reconfirmed. Hmm. And when I'm going through the dark night of my soul, um, there's a couple places that I go. One is I pick up Karl Barth's 4-1 and usually I only read about three pages and I'm fired up again. Yeah, Church or, Dogmatics. Or, or um, Prologue or Ephesians 1, especially the prayer in Ephesians 1. Absolutely momentous. If you want to know what the first half of Ephesians 1 about, read the prayer. And then Paul just dials in. This is who God is and what he planned for the foundation world to happen in Jesus has happened in Jesus. Now I'm praying that you be given the spirit of revelation and wisdom. The Holy Spirit dies your heart may be in light so you can see what is. When you see what is, it's going to blow your mind. Right. And it's going to astonish your heart. Because I, that's my, my, the two prayers in Ephesians are fantastic. So when you really get struggled, just zero in on that and pray. And the Lord will give you his own uh, humorous affirmations. For me, uh, one of them is... Um, I've always struggled financially. And it's just not, you can understand why. I mean, doing what I do in the Bible, but it's not a wise financial investment. And so probably 25 years ago, I started randomly finding a penny. I can get out of the car in the parking lot and there'd be a penny. There'd be a penny on the tee box. The penny, you know, after about 50 of those times, I discovered a penny. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, I get this. So one time, my friend David and I were fishing in Alabama, and we, we crawled down these rocks and poured into the side of a road for erosion, a big reservoir. And I was standing, we weren't catching anything. I was standing there eating, being eaten alive in fear. And I said, yeah, Lord, I'd like to see you do your penny trick now. And so I'm casting this big rock about six feet out in the water, and I'm casting all around it. I'm just dead serious and working it moving around. And I look up on top of the rock, there's a big old shiny penny. Jeez. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> I give in. <laughs> so that, he continues to do that. And every now and then there'll be something like a quarter, like just like, just a heads up, you know. Mm. And I, I said, okay. I'm never going to doubt your heart. I know I've been insulted by my prayers and the way that I pray, begging you, because I don't think you care. I don't think you're good. I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be looking to catch you in the act. Mm -hmm. So when fear hits me, financial fear, whatever it is, I'm like, nope, nope. That one's not distracting me. I know it's coming. I'm watching. I'm going to see. Are you going to pull this off? Are you going to redeem this? I mean, that's yeah, I like, okay. So that's that's part of the, the confidence is the actual walk. Yes. You, see, you see him do his thing. Seeing it. And it's just a human. Yeah. 
Who well, ever thought? Well, what do you got uh, before we get off the phone here? What do you got going on? Like, what do you? What's the main thing you're doing right now, Baxter? Well, I have three online classes, uh, and I'm reworking the final bits of the mediation of Jesus Christ uh, essay, which is becoming a small book. I don't want it to get too big, but um, so we're going to see if we can get J.B. Torrance's article. Covenant contract uh, mission to reprint that inside that. Okay. I'm working with a guy on um, reissuing or republishing Thomas Erskine's book, um, the um, the spiritual order. He talks about the difference between seeing ourselves created on probation, or are we created as as children to be educated? To learn to participate, become partakers of God's righteousness and goodness. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Uh, so that work, he's Richard Leinbach has done a new edition of Unconditional Freedom of the Gospel, which is available on Amazon. Okay. Leinbach edition. There's several different ones that have, um, <clears throat> for whatever reason, they're abridged. This one is not, and he's he's done a wonderful job. So got that project going on. Uh, I'm working on uh, a book of stories, working on an, a long essay on John's gospel, um, on the death of Jesus in John's gospel. Um, that's one of the classes that I do. First Tuesday of every month we meet on Patreon. Uh, I'm teaching through John. We're in John 17 right now. Uh, and so what else am I doing? And your your website is para, paracoesis.com, right? Paracoesis. Yeah. P-E-R-I. C-H-O-R-E-S-I-S. Don't have my shirt on or my hat. I do have somewhere in this pocket of mine. I do have a coin. Oh, you have given me. That's what goes in my pocket every single week when I preach. That coin right there. Yes, sir. That's That's how you spell it. Yep. Perichoresis. Perichoresis. Now, if you notice it, uh, you you probably did this on on this side. It's got Paracia, Quinonia, mm-hmm. and Pericresis on that side. But yeah, I keep it. I keep it with me, and that goes back to um, in the early days for me when I would go travel and speak. I would take a copy of um, Athanasius's little book on the incarnation of the Word of God, and a copy of T.S. Lawrence's book, The Mediation of Jesus Christ literally take them with me when I get to the pulpit, I'd put it on each side. For a long time, I put it on the front pew looking back at me because I knew what was coming. Right. That's who I'm standing with. Right there. And they represented the cloud of witnesses of the real gospel. Um, So, got to where there wasn't any room anymore on the front pew, and so I put it up on the pulpit. And then I got this coin laid, and I keep it in my pocket at all times for that very reason. Yeah, and it's kind of a, uh, a a gift to me from the Holy Spirit, and I don't. I just I carry extra ones with me, and I just wait for the Holy Spirit to say, "You need to give this person a coin." It'll mean a lot to him. And well, I, I was I was honored to get one, and I, I truly do put that in my back pocket every time I preach. So, 
Well, Baxter, thank you for joining us. It was wonderful to hey, see great you. Talk. Great talk to you. Yeah, and uh, knows? we're hoping Who to get knows? you to Montana sometime again. Be in the summertime <laughs> or early fall, but I'm not. I'm, I did um, Toronto in January. I've done Minnesota in February. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, Actually, I, I walked on, walked on water in Minnesota. Yeah, was it frozen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you Mississippi boys don't get that very often. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we usually get it for about a week or so in the dead of winter, but it's not three feet thick. It's only yeah. 10 inches. Or yeah. Well, all right, man. Great seeing you. Yeah, I appreciate you, brother. Yep. I'm, uh, we'll get it all edited and send it out to you. So. Perfect. All right. Thanks. Thanks, my great. brother. Listen. See you later. Bye, bud. <laughs>